We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey guys, what is up? Welcome into the Guilty as Charged podcast presented by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. My name is Steven. I'm your host, uh, as you can see on YouTube. Uh, please send rain if you can. Um, joining me as always are Tyler and Alex. Alex, who's packing up, getting ready for med school. How are you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. So I'll be out of the country next week. And, uh, you know, then there will be a three hour time difference, but that's still the same. And then daylight savings time will happen. So. That's fun, uh, being in a foreign country. So then there will be a four-hour difference between me, Tyler, and Stevens. That's great. Yeah, I'm going to be up some late nights on uh, Monday night football and Thursday night football. And, uh, Tell me. But yeah, it's all good, man. <laughs> um, Tyler, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing well. Alex, I can't wait to hack your VPN so we can watch Game Pass finally. <laughs> uh, but who cares about me? Steven, dude, tell me about this big news you have. Yeah, man. So I, uh, I've been working, you know, getting my master's in school counseling over the last few years. Um, it was supposed to be an 18 month venture. COVID turned it into a 24 month venture, which kind of pushed me past some, uh, um, hiring availabilities from last year. And so, you know, this past year I was, I was working, uh, full-time in schools, obviously like, you know, not complaining, but it wasn't exactly what I want to do. Um, and the job search has really <laughs> pushed me to my limits mentally, but uh, yeah. it's finally over. I'll be starting uh, working as a school counselor at a charter school um, starting in a couple of weeks from now. So very excited about that and really just ready to get my career started. And, uh, you know, honestly, she's not going to listen to this episode probably, but shout out to my wife, man. Like it's been <laughs> a long, long summer and uh, it has been some grueling mental strains for me, but my wife has always been there. Uh, supporting me and uh, helping me out. So shout out to her. That's the best, man. I love it. Best of luck to you guys. Thank best you. Luck. Thank you. Thank you, guys. So, um, yeah, that was some um, good news on uh, yesterday afternoon. And the Chargers obviously had their ninth practice today. So, we'll, so we hello. So we will be talking about some uh, news and notes from today's practice. Um, have to start it off with some health and injury notes, uh, unfortunately, as is always the case for the Chargers. But thankfully, nothing too serious. Uh, Brandon Faison, who has been missing practice, is apparently doing with a family matter, which we'll talk about the ramifications of that in a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, Mark Webb is dealing with a hamstring injury, so that one's a little more serious. He's not going to uh, be practicing in the scrimmage tomorrow, uh, which is kind of another reason why they signed 
um i forget his name already sales so yeah kj sales who uh apparently knows some guy that university of utah just signed so that's fun um and then brian balaga is perfectly healthy for his age uh the chargers just seem to be <laughs> <laughs> they seem to be being a little careful with him and giving him a little bit of the uh Kawhi leonard load management treatment but he is expected to play in the scrimmage for fan fest tomorrow um, Jalen Guyton was back at practice. Tyron Johnson was not, but he seems to be making strides. He's not going to be in the scrimmage tomorrow, um, but it seemed like Brandon Staley was implying that he is going to be back at practice next week. So um, definitely going to keep an eye on that. Did I miss anyone, guys? Uh, they Brandon signed uh, Chris Okoye and uh, Christian Covington did not practice today. Mm-hmm. Okay, I didn't know about the Christian Covington one. So um that's uh means that guy got some immediate work, man. <laughs> um, and it does look like Jared Goldwire did actually retire. Um, I know we kind of mentioned that on the live stream, but that is official. He is retired. Apparently, the Chargers can retain his rate, his rights, excuse me, uh, if he does decide to come back throughout this season. Um, but yeah, man, it just seems like he's he's kind of done with the football. So, you know, it was it is what it is. Yeah, no, it's all good. I don't know when you want to get into this, but I would like to talk about that face on. First, we thought he was injured, and why is he not out there? Because we never even saw him out on the field. And of course, now we find out it's a family matter. And look, I don't think anyone's stock has gone up this past week more than Asante Samuel Jr. But what do yeah. you do when you have a guy who leaves because of a family matter, family emergency, or maybe one of his family members has COVID or whatever it is? What do you do when he comes back? That to me is a is a tough one because. You know, we, we t- look, we talked about injury, losing your job to injury 40 million times last season with Herbert and Tyrod Taylor, yeah. but this is very different. You know, do you give up a guy's job? Like if you, if someone loses their job to a family emergency, is that cool? Like, is there a way to, I don't know. That's just really, really tough. What would you guys do in this situation? Uh, I mean, that's a bit of a loaded question. Right. <laughs> um, I mean, I mean, I, you, you have to keep going with practice as is, right? So Asante Samuel Jr. will be in there until Brandon Faison uh, is able to come back. Um, but yeah, it is definitely a tough situation. Uh, I think you just kind of manage it to that point. To be honest, with the way that Asante Samuel is playing, I feel feel like we can kind of say it was you know trajecting kind of that way anyway um sure. you know yeah. not to you know and he was a second round pick right mm-hmm. as much as we talked about brandon face on uh in the context of starting and you know maybe you wait on asante samuel right in the sense of making the rookies earn it most of us thought when we made our roster predictions that hey asante samuel is cb1 right um as much as the coaching staff and ronaldo hill and people talked about brandon face on um, so I think you just kind of go day by day, see how it goes. If Brandon Faison does come back uh, relatively early on, maybe by Monday or Tuesday, then kind of practice as usual. But, you know, I think with what we've seen from Asante Samuel the last week, it'll be really hard for him to kind of get that job back at this point. Yeah, I think you kind of have to try and, and maintain the status quo from before when Brandon Faison was uh, gone, I think. You rotate Asante Samuel Jr. more in more often with the first team defense. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, Asante kind of mentioned today, like he's expecting to have to earn this, uh, earn a starting spot. Like he's not expecting to have it handed to him. Um, so I think you you let Brandon Face on continue to, you know, have a chance at starting and you know, you let the competition sort itself out. Um, I loved from the other day that Daniel Popper kind of mentioned 
you know, he's really trying to earn the respect of his teammates. And one of the ways that you do that as a young guy is you take extra reps and you take extra reps specifically against guys like Keenan Allen. And, you know, in the Daniel Popper's uh, story, he mentioned that Asante Samuel Jr. had two uh, reps against Asante or against Keenan Allen, excuse me, that were meant for Chris Harris, I believe. And Asante won one of those reps and did really, really well. And then Keenan Allen kind of beat him on a slant route. But uh, as we saw from today, man, those those, uh, those routes from Keenan Allen are so, so crispy. Um, but I love the fact that Asante Samuel Jr. is taking the initiative, taking those extra reps against one of the best route runners in the NFL, arguably the best player on the offense. Um, and that's just going to pay big dividends for him in the season. And of course, down the road in his career, especially as he, you know, gets to work against Keenan Allen every day in practice from here on out. No, I, that works for me. I mean, he has, does not have an easy assignment, even though he's technically CB3, maybe CB4 on the roster. Yeah. Come, you know, the, the the Washington football team game and the Cowboys game and the Chiefs game, he's going to have quite a few assignments. Sorry, my dog's barking all that, Alex. Talk. <laughs> oh, looks like Alex is, there we go. Go ahead, Alex. Oh, sorry. Uh, I was muted. Okay, we're a mess today. Um, uh, I think that, you know, when it comes to Brandon Faison, you know, just rotating in, um, you know, when it comes to Chris Harris and Asante Samuel, right? Like, uh, the fact that Asante Samuel Jr. took, you know, two reps on Keenan Allen, like that is just, you know, excellent to hear, right? That he has that attitude. Um, but yeah, no, I, I do think it's a kind of blow to face on that this is all kind of happening to him while he's out with a family matter which is unfortunate but yeah i do think they kind of just have to plug and chug along because you know who knows how long he's going to be out but yeah uh, but hopefully hope for the best for him right yeah absolutely hope everything's okay with his family you know and you know that is the most important thing right now um the other thing that i wanted to talk about in terms of injuries and notes um is brian bulaga right like everybody has been kind of frustrated with him not practicing and things like that you know, he's fine. Like, I, I think as long as he's able to stay healthy and play in games, like, that's all that the Chargers can hope for right now. And, you know, Brandon Staley saw this up close and personal last year with the Rams and Andrew Whitworth, and they kind of did the same thing with Whitworth. Um, you know, say that five times fast. Um, in terms of load managing his reps throughout the week and in training camp and, you know, giving him preseason games off and things like that. So they have a plan for Brian Balaga. And, you know, we, of course, we would love to see him getting these first team reps and, and you know, showing what he's got against Joey Bosa and, and those guys. Um, but, you know, I'm not super worried about him, you know, starting the season. I think he'll be fine. You know, I do think ultimately he will play more games than he did last year. I mean, it's hard not to, to you know, have that kind of recurring injuries that he had last year. Um, but I think ultimately this is a good thing for, Trey Pipkins and Storm Norton as well, right? Because those players are both kind of long-term projects who need more reps. And so resting Brian Bulaga keeps him fresh, keeps him healthy, and also gives Norton and Pipkins the opportunity to have some very valuable reps with the first-team offense. Today, it was Norton who got uh, the kind of nod, if you will, against the first-team defense. Um, he apparently looked okay. He got beat by Joey Bosa on one of the reps in the two-minute drill. Um, so that is, you know, notable, but I think, you know, all things are going smoothly according to their plan for Balaga and, uh, hopefully Norton and Pippins are kind of able to, uh, take advantage of those reps. 
Yeah, I don't think for for really anything that losing to Joey Bosa on one rep is, is too yeah. bad because he, he happens to beat a lot of people. Um, as far as Brian Balaga, you know, that's just kind of going to be the thing is, I know why fans are disappointed, but, you know, I think you do load manage, right? We talked about sports performance, right? And that's been a huge focus uh, for this team. So if you have to sit Brian Balaga, you know, while this kind of stuff doesn't matter, right? Like there's no wins and losses being recorded, uh, as much as continuity and, uh, you know, all that stuff is important, you know, we do have to kind of take a step back and like, yeah, I'd like to see him play in a preseason game, but it's a preseason game. So if he doesn't play, I'm not going to lose my marbles about it. And that's just kind of how I approach it. Um, like I said, I'm also fans of teams that are just perpetually injured forever. Uh, and that's just how it works. So for, for me, it's just, you know, I mean, he plays when he plays. Uh, yeah. And sometimes, you know, Joel Embiid just tears his ACL walking out of bed and then he'll play that day. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so with Brian Balaga, I think you just kind of, you know, monitor the situation. Uh, it, it wasn't that big of an injury. It was just, you know, the hand kind of swelled up on him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so to me, as long as it's not a hamstring, it's not a groin or something that, you know, could linger and keep him out for an extended amount of time. I'm honestly not too concerned about it. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny that you mentioned, you know, getting out of bed because uh, that literally happened to Zach Moss when he was at the University <laughs> of Utah in uh, 2018. They started off the season pretty well. They were like five and one. Uh, and then Zach Moss literally tore his meniscus getting out of bed and the entire rest of the season went to shit. So um, had to laugh at that one. Um, Steven shoehorning Utah into the show. <laughs> episode 48. That's two mentions today already, baby. Let's go. Jesus yeah. <laughs> My gosh. I will say, as far as Blog is concerned, part of his issue last year was he was trying to force himself to come back yeah. in, and he did, and he got hurt again, and then he think he came back in, and then Jonathan Abrams slammed into his lower back and caused oh, yeah. further issues. So, you know, I totally get it. The way that they're practicing right now, the ones don't get a ton of reps anyway. They're rotating those guys out, keeping them fresh, making sure the goal is to get to week one, and if we can get there, great. Then we'll try to be the best team possible. And, yeah, it seems to be the, the case with Belaga so far. So I, I don't mind them rotating with Norton or Pipkins. You said Norton had the advantage today, but was that at right tackle? Yeah, it was Over at right Pipkins? tackle. Okay. So in previous practices, it had been Pipkins from what we had heard. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think on the Friday that I was there, um, mm -hmm. Bulaga had that day off and it was Pipkins working with the ones. Um, so okay. it, th that's a legitimate competition, right? And I think yeah. they could af absolutely keep both of those players, right? And I think with a player like Brian Bulaga, it makes sense to keep that extra tackle depth if you want. Um, you know, it, it seems like the interior backup group is kind of taking shape with Brendan Hymas and Questenberry and St. Louis, um, Tyree St. Louis, that is. So kind of is, you know, pick your poison, right? Like, do you want to keep that forward from running back or do you want that 10th offensive lineman? Do you want that 10th offensive lineman or 10th defensive lineman? Um, the Chargers will have to figure that out. But, you know, if you're talking about depth, like, you got to have some death behind Brian Blaga, who is one of your most frequently injured players on the roster, but it just kind of depends if they think they're able to keep Norton on the practice squad or Pipkins on the practice squad, I guess, if they chose Norton. Um, but it seems like everything's going pretty well from the offensive line standpoint. Talk to me about Hymas. I know you read the, what Popper's update was. What was the update on him? It sounded like he had a good day, yeah? Yeah, so it's it sounded like he had a good day. Obviously, I wasn't there, but um, he. you mentioned yesterday that he has kind of surpassed Ryan Hunter for the left guard spot um, with the second team lineup. Um, you know, Brandon Staley had some good words of praise for him today. 
Um, it does seem like they're kind of focused on him as a guard. Um, they think they, it, it kind of seemed like he implied that he could play tackle in a pinch. Um, but I think they would go to other options before him. Obviously, Pipkins, Norton, and perhaps even Matt Filer, you know, bumping out to the right tackle. Um, but it, it's good news. Like this rookie, this rookie class is really starting to make an impact all around. Really, the only ones that we have kind of yet to hear positive buzz about are, again, Nick Neiman and Larry Roundtree, even though Larry Roundtree is kind of getting some work in special teams. Uh, Nick Neiman got cooked by KJ Hill today, though. That, that was uh, that was something fun to watch. Yeah, I couldn't tell if that was Nick Neiman or, you know, just one of the other white guys. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> as soon as KJ Hill burned him, I was like, okay. So, I mean, the fact that that's Neiman isn't great, but, you know, I mean, you know, he's going to do that to people once in a while. So I'm not too concerned. Um, as far as, like, Roundtree. Uh, <laughs> I'm out um, of Alex. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think him. we, we kind of projected that he would mostly be a special teams player this year anyway, right? Unless, you know, you have a Jackson go down or a Kelly go down. And I've been on the train that I do think they're going to keep four running backs. So having one just kind of rotate on special teams, I think, is the way to go for now. Um, but the fact that you can even say, hey, we have four or five guys that are like instantly contributing out of the nine we drafted, like that's not something a lot of teams can say. Um, you know, especially if you're like the Texans and you had three picks and one of them was Davis Bills, who <laughs> I don't know. But uh, so that's just sort yeah. of how it is. So if you can get a lot of draft contributors in addition to the, you know, elite talent that the Chargers have kind of up front then I think that that's, you know, sort of the way to go. Uh, and that's, you know, how you know Telesco at least nailed the draft for now. For now, for now. We'll have to wait and see, obviously. But, it, you know, I really can't remember the last time a rookie class was getting this kind of buzz out of training camp. Like, mm-hmm. I think maybe last year in a more normal world, we probably would have gotten more buzz about the rookie class, obviously because of Justin Herbert, most importantly. But um, overall, from picks one through nine, like this rookie class has been making some – great plays and making some big strides, which is fantastic. Um, The last thing in terms of injuries and things like that um, with the receiver depth, you know, uh, kind of in question right now with Tyron Johnson hurt. Um, Jalen Guyton was also hurt, but today he was back. Apparently had a good day. Um, Someone else has had to step up. And today, apparently that was Jason Moore. Um, He got some reps with the first team offense, specifically in the two minute drill, had a catch. Um, He's looked pretty good in camp. Like I, I think, you know, if the Chargers weren't, you know, talk, you know, if we weren't talking about Tyron Johnson and Jalen Guyton kind of being established starters and Josh Palmer, you know, I would be getting pretty excited about Jason Moore. Um, it, he looks very fluid as a route runner. He's got some good size. Um, just kind of sucks because I, I, I don't see a world where he makes the roster. Um, but it was good to see him make some plays today in practice or at least, you know, hear about him making those plays in practice. For sure. And I think, you know, you talk about like the two or three years that he's survived cuts on this team. <laughs> like yeah. There were plenty of opportunities to, you know, get rid of Jason Moore and they didn't. Right. So his athleticism does kind of stick out in that regard. And I think he'll make some plays now, whether he can beat out Austin Prohl and Joe Reed and all those guys, I think will be another question. But, you know, it's nice to see him making plays. And, you know, better than last year, he will have three preseason games to right. show what he's got. Right. Hopefully he makes the first two cuts, uh, which which I would, I guess, expect with a player of his caliber who's been around uh, for as long as he has been on the team. So, yeah, that'll be interesting to watch. Yeah, this will be pretty close. This reminds me of, I believe it's Artavis Scott, who pretty much yeah. always had a good preseason. 
but just never was a guy who really made an impact on the roster. So, you know, more as another option right now is great. I'm glad he's showing what he has. And if he sticks around, awesome. But, you know, even even if he's performing better in camp and he probably has more receptions at this point, has had technically had a bigger impact than Guyton. Yeah. But he he just can't like he, if he was just a little bit faster, he would have it over Guyton. But there's just nobody else that has that one thing that Guyton has that nobody else has. So it's unfortunate, but I don't see them carrying, you know, seven wide receivers on this yeah. roster. And then unless you want to cut a running back. And in some ways, I, I could see maybe very early on, like the initial 53 man monster, maybe they keep an extra wide receiver if Johnson is hurt, if something's up with Guyton. You know, who knows, but I just don't see him making the team. But, you know, good for him so far. He's always been consistent and a camp winner. Yeah, and he's he's probably going to be the leading receiver in preseason because he's got such yeah. a good rapport with Chase Daniel and Easton Stick, and he's probably going to be that guy um, just like Artavis Scott was, you know, previously. Mm-hmm. So, um, all right, we're going to transition now to an interview that I had uh, with Joshua Briscoe, who covers the Kansas City Chiefs for Sports Illustrated. Uh, really provided some great insight to the Chiefs. You know, we talked about the offensive line coming together, their defensive question marks, uh, and really how Chiefs fans are kind of viewing the Chargers and the rest of the AFC West. So, again, as usual, the audio version of that is going to be happening right now. The video version is going to be in a separate link. Uh, so, that being said, here is Josh Briscoe. Hey guys, welcome back to the Guilty as Charged podcast. Very happy to be joined by a very special guest today, Joshua Briscoe, who is joining us to talk about the Chiefs, the Chargers. He works for Sports Illustrated. He works for The Athletic. Where's a bunch of hats? Josh, how are you doing today, for us, man? I'm, uh, I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. And I have to give you first and foremost props for the name of the show, because I saw that on the Twitter account whenever you DM me. And I thought, you know what? If they came up with this to be the name <laughs> of their show, the, the segment will probably be pretty good. So that uh, props to you in that regard. And yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. It was uh, we've been around for about a little over a year now. So um, very happy with how things have gone. And yes, we are. We are are very grateful for some of the creative people that came up with that name for us. So, um, Josh, I think the natural place for us to start this conversation in terms of Chargers versus Chiefs, AFC West, is really the offensive line because, I mean, the the Chargers and the Chiefs are frankly in a very similar situation, right? Like the previous staff, or in this case, you know, the old staff, current staff for the Chiefs, did not do a good enough job protecting their quarterbacks. So, Potentially four new starters for the Chiefs, likely four new starters for the Chargers. What's the vibe with the offensive line in Kansas City right now? Obviously, they made a bunch of changes. So what can you tell us about uh, the Chiefs offensive line? What I can tell you is, is that right now there is a decent chance that the Chiefs starting five in week one would have zero total snaps played as members of the Kansas City Chiefs all combined so they they trade for orlando brown jr from the ravens right he was mostly playing right tackle there but he wanted to be a left tackle got a little run at left tackle last year uh the chiefs trade for him with their first round pick uh then joe tooney comes to kansas city he actually was first but but the guard from the patriots signs a huge deal highest paid guard in football so he comes to kansas city uh second round pick creed humphrey is getting all of the number one work at center uh played at oklahoma really like him. I, I think there's a very small chance that he gets uh, shown to be out of place this year or anytime soon. 
Then uh, at right guard and right tackle, it gets even a little bit more interesting. Uh, you, you have Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, who opted out last year, as most people probably know. To, he is an actual doctor uh, yeah. and was on the front lines in Canada fighting COVID, and, and he's back this year. But right now, he's behind sixth-round pick Trey Smith, who's been getting the first-team work at right guard. He was the guard out of Tennessee, and as much as you guys were looking at offensive linemen over the course of, of your draft prep, I'm sure his name came up at some point, because yeah. he was a second- or third-round talent on most people's boards, but he had blood clot issues. Uh, I, I think it was his sophomore year at Tennessee, but several years ago, two or three years back. Well, he, the Chiefs were felt good about his medicals and how they could manage it and everything. So they pick, they pick him in the sixth round and he's nasty, like in the best yes. possible way for yeah. a guard to be. So he's been there and he's been great. And then at right tackle, it's either going to be Mike Rimmers who played almost the whole season last year after Mitchell Schwartz got hurt. But Mike Rimmers has some back issues right now, which popped mm. up early in camp and that back issues probably more serious ones, fingers crossed, knock on wood, whatever um, that, but that's what derailed Mitch Schwartz. So Rimmers, I think would be the guy at right tackle, but if he can't go right now, the guy who's getting the snaps behind him is, is opt out rookie red shirt rookie, as I've been calling him Lucas Niango. They took him the third right. round last year from TCU. So all of that comes together to, to make, you know, two, two very diverging paths um, from the chargers perspective. And from the chiefs perspective, you can go one of two ways. You can say, the Chiefs have put together a nasty and also sort of schematically different offensive line than they've had in years past. That's, that part is true. And it's either going to make Patrick Mahomes unpressurable or there are some gambles that won't pay off. And, yeah. and that's going to be, I think, in all likelihood, the biggest story of the Chiefs season. Also, though, I think there's a pretty good chance that we know more or less what the answer is by like week four. Uh, and they'll have some pretty good depth behind them if, you know, if Trey Smith or, or Creed Humphrey uh, ends up in over their head. I don't think they will, but it's just a, a very long answer because it's been a, a very uh, arduous experience this offseason as the Chiefs have totally redone their line. Yeah, it's it's crazy because like, you know, I, I was doing some research for the Chargers offensive line and it's like you really don't see you know, wide scale changes like this and it's happening, you know, with the top two teams in the division, of course, I'm going to bias and say that the Chargers are the second team, but you know, I we'll would agree with you for the record. So, yeah. okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll dive into that conversation a little bit more, but it is crazy that, you know, these two teams are really just blowing up the offensive line and, you know, the Chargers players are all saying the right things, right? Like it's all about communication, about trusting each other, but in ways that they're similar and different, right? The Chargers only have the one young player who's going to start. Right. So you're telling me that the Chiefs are potentially going to have three. So is that different in terms of building cohesion and chemistry because they have three young players, Chargers only have one? Like, what are they saying about the chemistry and cohesion aspect of it? It's interesting. And this is a point that I got to give credit to my deputy editor on, on Arrowhead Report, who mentioned this on uh, my radio show, Almost Entirely Sports, Sports Radio 10 here in Kansas City. That's a double plug. Uh, but when I was talking <laughs> to him last night, he made this point of like, well, you know, I mean, I think you could look at this and go, wow, all this overhaul all at once, all these guys trying to, to be able to mingle and be able to sort of sync up together. What a difficult offseason. But I think, to, but Jordan's point was, well, actually, I mean, is there a better time to have a total overhaul and to work in the new guys and to work in the rookies than when everything is getting changed already? So everyone kind of Joe Tony, Orlando Brown are veterans. The other three guys I mentioned are rookies and maybe it's Mike Rimmers who's a veteran, but 
you have everybody kind of starting from a, a if not the same, a similar point with Rimmers being the exception. So uh, and, uh, that I think is, was a really good point by Jordan. And then also, I mean, from what they've been talking about at camp and everything, it is just that it is working together and figuring out how to, how to merge as a unit. But I think to some extent, you know, again, to belabor the last point, if you, if you have a, a new left tackle and a new center, and that's all you have, you still have to work on that offensive line cohesion. Right. You know, you've got the guy making the calls in most cases in the center, and you have your most important lineman at your left tackle. Like it, it, just that much turnover does actually kind of uproot some of the stuff because everyone has to work to those guys. So I, really, I'm not that worried about them as a unit. We could see there being a, a few hiccups in the season once we're actually playing games. And, you know, that happens to the best of them. So, uh, so right. far, it's been pretty good returns on, on what we've seen to this point. It's also interesting, though, because the Chiefs defensive line is kind of maniacal at this point. So it's made for some interesting training camp drills. Yeah, well, that's a, a great transition to my next question here. Obviously, you know, Frank Clark's legal situation is a bit up in the air. Yeah, uh, I saw a clip yesterday of Chris Jones playing defensive end, and it was kind of terrifying. <laughs> so uh, what do you make of the defensive line standpoint? I, I, frankly, I was pretty surprised that, you know, they didn't really address the pass rusher position in the draft earlier. But yeah. then how can you say no to Creed Humphrey, who I'm a huge fan of? Um, what's the state of the defensive line, you know, obviously outside of the speculation of Frank Clark? Yeah, and it, I just for the record think Clark probably played does not see a suspension this season. Maybe something happens in the offseason, slow moving. So that being said, um, it's really interesting. And a ton of it does hinge on Clark, just the football player. Um, yeah. Chris Jones, though, moving from from defensive end or defensive tackle to predominantly, I think, defensive end. It might be a little bit of both. Uh, Steve Spagnuolo talked about that yesterday quite a bit. And he said, look, I mean, it's going to be about situations and personnel and all of that. So so I think we're going to see plenty of, of Jones in both spaces. But I was um a little bit of i don't want to say a skeptic because i my, my thought has never been chris jones can't play defensive end i think i've been a little bit cautious about it because it's not madden right like in madden if you have yeah. a deficiency somewhere but you've got three great defensive tackles you move the skinniest one the defensive end and he jumps from <laughs> an 88 to a 92 and you're like all right this is great this is easy this is the magic yeah. And I don't want to expect that of Chris Jones, but part of the reason he can move out there is because there's even more in the middle of the defensive line than there is on the edges right now. They bring in Jerron Reed, the uh, former Seahawks defensive tackle, who's kind of a late cut. They bring him in, which also lets him move Chris Jones to the outside because he and Chris Jones play pretty much the same position, and or at least mm -hmm. Jones did previously. So yeah. you can put him next to Derek Nottie, who's sort of you know the big run stuffer, not a great pass rusher, but an excellent guy to have pretty much there in the middle. And then you can rotate in, you know, figure out when you want Chris Jones on the on the field. You put him and Jaron Reed side by side in obvious pass rushing situations. You put more speed on the edges with, you know, Taco Charlton back on a one-year deal. Uh, Mike Dana going into his second year out of, out of Michigan. Um, you, you find Josh Kando they drafted. I'm, again, I'm sort of pumping the brakes a little bit on some of those guys because I I, I don't want to put, I don't want to assume the ceiling of, of every single player. I think that is how you get into some dangerous situations where you say, well, Josh Kane, you know, he has a fourth round pick, but he's going to be at all. He's going to be a pro bowl with this. You don't even worry about it. And then you wonder why your pass rush isn't as good as you want it to be halfway through the season. Cause you yeah. overassumed what he would do. Uh, they brought back Alex Okafor also, who I think is there to prevent them from having to play someone who is not yet an NFL caliber player. 
But uh, across the line, it's a very interesting unit because there is a bunch of depth and you have stars at various spots. Chris Jones, I think, is going to be the most important factor wherever he is on the line. But really, the difference on how the entire unit will look between Seattle Frank Clark and at least 2020 Chiefs Frank Clark, which is, you know, very good and yeah. not worth the money being the yeah. two examples there. I think that's going to end up being the big, the biggest pendulum swing. And I really, truly do not know what to expect from him. Clark will be good on the edge. Like I, I think he will be good there. I don't know if he'll be as dominant as he was in the middle, but what the chiefs are betting on is that, that Gerald, John Reed and, and Derek Nottie and, and Tershawn Wharton and undrafted free agent from last year, all of that. Um, that some of those guys will be, will be 80% of Chris Jones in the middle as a unit, you know, and that Jones will then be 90% of his former self on the edge. And maybe that raises the, the line altogether. So yeah. that's at least the logic. And, and I think it makes a decent amount of sense. Yeah, I, I'm very interested to see how it pans out. And uh, frankly, I'm so glad that we get to see this matchup earlier rather than later like we normally do. So um, we'll get to one more question on the defense and then we'll kind of talk about the AFC West as a whole. Sure. Um, I'm very curious to see what year two holds for Legereus Sneed. Yeah, um, I think the Chiefs really got to steal with him. And, you know, like as a whole, right, like it goes as Patrick Mahomes and the offense goes. But to a lesser extent, I think the secondary kind of goes as Tyron Matthew goes, in my mm-hmm. opinion. But now you have Legereus Sneed, who, if all goes well, can kind of, you know, emerge and add another playmaker back there. So where is Sneed at in his development? And then to a more broader extent, what's up with the Chiefs secondary this year? Uh, I was on a, a radio show yesterday and they asked, Hey, if the season doesn't work out for the chiefs, if they're not in the AFC championship game again, which I think is probably a, the reasonable watermark that, that's um, a floor, for sure. It, yeah. I think, I think if you are in the AFC championship game and something weird happens and something weird happens, if you are in the super bowl, you, that you'll take it. If you win it all, it's obviously a success. Um, but they said, you know, if, it, if it's not a, a successful season for the chiefs, what will have gone wrong? And I think it's the corners. Um, I'm not predicting that it's going to go wrong, but I think that's where I am. The, the, that's where I'm the most, um, hesitant to say that everything is definitely going to work out but since spags has been in town the corners have worked out and legerius Sneed might be the best example of that he's a fourth round pick who starts last year playing on the outside because bashad breeland was suspended um and they, i am so annoyed that they let bashad breeland go to the vikings i've said this every platform i can get i i would have brought him back in a heartbeat the chiefs didn't okay um, but, and there's a ton of versatility among the corners they do have. And Breland was an outside guy as is Traverius Ward, who will be one of the outside corners. Anyway, I digress. Uh, I'm contractually obligated at this point to mention Bashad Breland though. But, uh, so Sneed starts on the outside. He breaks his collarbone. He was great before that. He comes back and then he's playing in the slot. He's blitzing out of a slot. Stuff he didn't even do in college that Spags didn't know he could do that Sneed didn't really know he could do, but it comes out of him somehow. And, and he ends up being a legit playmaker. As you said, that's a huge advantage. Uh, so I think the plan right now, and this is maybe the the second biggest storyline out of camp, two or two or three, probably O-line, D-line, and secondary, I think we've been in the right spaces in terms of what's most interesting right now. Um, I think with what we've seen so far that, that Traverius Ward and Legereus Sneed will be the outside corners in your base packages, which they're going to be in 20 or 25% of the time. And mm-hmm. then Sneed would kick into the slot and sub packages. And then you have a real battle on the outside for who gets that other spot. I would have preferred for it to be Bashad Breland. I'm going to not <laughs> mention his name again. 
There we but go. now you have a competition between Mike Hughes, a former uh, first round pick from the Vikings. Never stayed healthy, didn't perform that well, but they've been giving him run there. DeAndre Baker, former first round pick with the Giants, uh, broke his leg in week 17 with the Chiefs, got cut after what seemed like it might have been an extortion scheme against him. Our story was bonkers. Uh, but but it really seems like Hughes and uh, and Baker and maybe Rashad Fenton, who's been here for a while, former sixth round pick, entering near three or four off the top of my head. I think it's three, but it seems like he's been here longer than that. Uh, anyway, those are going to be the guys competing for that other outside spot, I think. And I expect Snead to end up going back into that very versatile sort of Swiss Army knife role where he can play in the slot. Um, if there are injuries, if the other outside guys don't play very well, I would be comfortable with Fenton in the slot as well. But you mentioned Tyron Matthew. He allows you to cover up some deficiencies or also exploit other teams' weaknesses. I prefer him in the latter role because that is the way that you're finding – he's your matchup picker. Like, he's the guy that is bothering the other team because he'll find the weakness and, and exploit it. So I would rather him be in that role as a weapon than as a Band-Aid. And I think Tarverius, I think Tarverius Ward and, and Legereus Sneed and then one of those other guys will have to be the ones that step up to allow Matthew to take that sort of more weaponized role. Yeah, and that's, you know, I'm a huge fan of of the Honey Badger. I think, you know, the way that Houston did him was was dirty. I think the way that Arizona did him was dirty. So yep. uh, it kind of sucks that he's playing so well and it has been unlocked for the Chiefs, but it is what it is. Um, you kind of alluded to how, you know, you view this Chargers team. Um, you know, I, I feel like there's going to be, you know, a real big battle for second place in this division with the Chargers, Broncos, and um, the Las Vegas Raiders. I always want to call them the Oakland Raiders still. It's going to be a tough habit. To <laughs> it really is. Um, but how legitimate do you view the Chargers? Like, are you thinking that all three teams are kind of being like that 8-9, 9-8 kind of range? Or do you think this Chargers team could really be a playoff team, potentially push them for the division? Um, how legitimate do you think the Chargers hype is right now? I, th I think it's legitimate. I, I think them being a wild card team makes a lot of sense. I, I don't think they're going to be um, at the heels of the Chiefs by week, you know, 13 or 14. But it yeah. wouldn't surprise me if they're relatively even five or six weeks in season. I don't have the Chargers schedule, uh, you know, memorized. So I, you know, maybe they've got a rougher start than I think. Um, but the Chiefs have a pretty tough start to the season scheduling wise as well. So regardless of, of you know, the, the intricacies of the first few weeks, I really do think that they're legitimate. And I think the reason this is very like simple analysis on some level. And so, um, you know, I understand that if this is frustrating to people, then it just, it's just, I just think it's true. Um, if you took all the quarterbacks off all the AFC West rosters and you just had the rest of the rosters, I would take whichever team you could drop Justin Herbert on. That's that for me is how I'm handicapping the AFC West, the chargers roster as a whole minus the quarterback position versus the Broncos versus the Raiders, I think would all be close enough in my mind to say, just give me the best not even just the best quarterback situation, but like by a lot in Justin Herbert. So yeah. that, that for me ends up being, again, it's super simplistic and it means that I don't have to talk much about the other, the other 52 guys on your final roster, but I <laughs> genuinely believe it to be true. All of these teams, all three of the, the non-chiefs teams, in the AFC West have some playmakers on both sides of the ball. They've got some pass catchers. They've got some pass rushers. There's somebody from every roster. You know, you know what, if I had those guys and then an average roster behind it, which I think, is relatively fair. Uh, and then you give me a young up and coming 
on the verge of elite quarterback. I say on the verge of just because it's a small sample size. Uh, I really like Herbert, though, if that hasn't been made clear. Um, I didn't out of college. That turned around very quickly for me. But I don't know what was going on in Oregon, but they were not using him right. (laughs) Lots of screen passes. (laughs) Lots of screens. Really weird. Um, But yeah, I, I think the Chargers roster is perfectly fine. Uh, I would say something relatively similar about the Chiefs roster as well, I think, but it's, I just think Patrick Mahomes is, is head and shoulders above everybody else. And then Justin Herbert specifically in the division as well. Then Justin Herbert is a step down and then a mile ahead of Derek Carr, maybe Marcus Mariota, uh, Drew Locke, maybe Teddy Bridgewater, you know, like I just, it, it's not even a competition in my mind. Yeah. So as long as he's healthy and that offensive line is able to keep him upright. I do think the chargers are legitimate. I don't think they're going to be able to take the AFC West though. No, I, I think that's totally fair. I think this is definitely something that's going to be kind of a, a long-term climb towards the Chiefs. And then, you know, I think both teams have some kind of long-term question marks. But yep, I, I feel comfortable with the Chargers' floor. I feel like, you know, nine wins is relatively a safe prediction for this team. Um, you know, that's nine and eight, which is another adjustment that is super weird. Yes. <laughs> but there are a lot of other things that have to go the Chargers' way for them to really push the Chiefs. Most yeah. importantly – Derwin James and Joey Bosa have to play a full season together or at least yeah. relatively close because they've only played like six games together, which is, you know, just a travesty, but That's I do feel crazy. comfortable. I didn't yeah. know that. That's incredible. Yeah. Cause Derwin missed all of 2020. Yeah. And the year before that, 2019, he only played five games and Bosa was only active in like two of those games. And then in 2018, Bosa missed like 12 games that year. So yeah. It's been it's been frustrating. Obviously, you know, we've got a, a wait and see approach with the coaching staff, but I feel like if if those three things ha- if those three things happen right, Herbert kind of takes another step, offensive line comes together, Bosa and Derwin stay healthy, I think the Chargers can absolutely push for a wild card spot, potentially more. Um, but again, we have to kind of wait and see in terms of how legitimate the push towards the Chiefs is, at least in year yeah. one. And that's the, I mean, the other thing about it is like you, you very clearly have long-term stability. So it's going to be really interesting. And this is why I imagine like it's, it should be important to you guys, how the, the chiefs last two draft classes pan out, right? Like, because eventually it's going to get to a point where Tyree kill and Travis Kelsey aren't chiefs and Justin Herbert should still be a charger at that point. (laughs) Yeah. How do the chargers reload up? And then what do the chiefs do once they start getting to the decline of those guys? Now, look, that might, that's probably four or five years out. So it's a very, very long game there. But the other thing is that if you have the quarterback and you get a wild card spot, crazy stuff happens. Great quarterbacks make playoff games fun, like, and, and make everything uncertain. You get a great Justin Herbert playoff performance, which should I the goal for the Chargers? I think you should again be happy if it's a if it's a decent wild card spot. Get that wild card spot, get into a playoff game, and then see what Justin Herbert can do. And I think he could do a lot in that role, yeah. assuming that you have some health on the defensive mm-hmm. side of things. If if Keenan Allen stays healthy, also, which I know, I mean, again, so far so good through camp, right? Again, knock on wood. Like usually, it feels like the Chargers have like three season-ending injuries by August fifth. So, so uh, hopefully, that that doesn't that doesn't rear its ugly head for you guys anytime soon. But yeah, I I, I would be very optimistic about what about what the Chargers are building right now because they have the quarterback. Yeah, absolutely right there with you. So we'll get you out of here on this last question. Um, where do you land on predicting the Chiefs record this year? Obviously, we've kind of talked about the AFC Championship game kind of being the floor. Um, are you seeing 14 wins again, 13? Kind of what are you, what's your prediction process for the Chiefs this year? 
Yeah, I went through the whole schedule right after it came out. And uh, honestly, I haven't gone back to it again yet. But I think I was in the 13 range. That's, that's four losses now. And, and it might not even be that many. Um, the, the only thing that, that really matters is the getting the first round by which is only now to that number one overall seed as was the case last year as well yeah that's where everything lives and dies if the, the difference between being a, a two seed you want to have the home field advantage that's all great but to have the first round by that not only means you can't lose which is important because even the chiefs could get upset in a playoff game a chiefs yeah. chargers wild card game i would not want to see that if so the chargers fun. are fully healthy right like that'd be so fun uh but it would also be very fun but you want to avoid that game and also be able to rest up through that, that game as well. So I, I think right now I, I definitely pencil them in to be the team that wins the number one overall seed out of the AFC uh, that outpaces the, the bills and the Ravens. And that's the most important thing for me. Now the chiefs have to win the games against those teams. You want to preserve those tiebreakers and all, uh, yeah. but if they can win those games and then just basically need the tie on, on, on again, let's assume the, the bills and Ravens and, and perhaps the Browns that she's opened the season with the chiefs could kind of put some dirt on the Browns in week one, as a number one seed, not as a playoff team, but just as the one seed, that would also right. be a whole lot of fun. So yeah, I, I think they win. I think they win 13 or 14 games and, and maybe once again, in the last week of the season, the, uh, the starters can rest or, or even if they don't, if that game is for the number one seed, that would very much be worth it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree there. Uh, Josh, this has been great, man. Chargers fans. If you want some Chiefs intel, which I know is always super important throughout the season, make sure and follow Josh on Twitter at JB Briscoe. Check him, check his workout for Sports Illustrated as well as The Athletic. Josh, thanks for joining me, man. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. If you want to do a little preview ahead of the games, you let me know and I'll uh, I'll see if your if your guys' roster is hopefully this time <laughs> stayed healthy and we can yeah. get a full a full strength sort of battle of the Titans. Yeah, absolutely, man. We will definitely be interested in that and we'll be in touch. Sounds good. I'll talk to you soon then. Have a good one, man. All right. So thanks again to Drew Josh for joining me. I think, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about our opinions of the Chiefs once we get closer to the season, but um, definitely noteworthy, you know, kind of the Chiefs and the Chargers kind of going through the same thing in terms of offensive line rebuilds, how they're going to protect their quarterbacks. Um, I'm absolutely something to keep an eye on. So, uh, let's get to some other takeaways from training camp today. And then we're also going to kind of talk about our roster predictions and what kind of has changed over the first nine days of practice. And then we're going to talk about some things um, that we're looking forward to from FanFest. So uh, Tyler, we'll start with you. What's kind of your big change, if you will, from your initial 53-man roster prediction to now? Obviously, I think Austin Pearl is, is someone that we can all talk about. Um, if that's who you want to start with, go ahead. But if not, uh, you can mention someone else too. It's kind of related, but I'll just say that I don't have any undrafted free agent rookies making the roster. I don't recall if I had picked one or two or neither of uh, DeLuca or Ogbong Bamiga, but at this point, it seems like DeLuca. Now, if Mark Webb is still hurt, maybe he has a shot. I don't know what Mark Webb's status is going to be, but it just seems like you know, they're going to add some guys at different spots that I didn't expect. So DeLuca's kind of on the outside looking in right now. And then Ogbong Bamiga, everyone thought, yep, he is the undrafted free agent who's going to make the roster. And it looks like Cole Christiansen, not Christensen, Christiansen, right? Christiansen, yeah. Yeah, it looks like he's going to be the guy that makes the roster as the linebacker, that special teams player, which, hey, you know, have at it. Um, I didn't personally watch him so far in camp, but it sounds like, you know, if he's got that first team job, uh, he's got it. So, yeah, no undrafted free agent rookies making the roster. 
That also means I don't have Kessman making the roster. It's pretty close right now, so there's no reason for me to change <laughs> anything except for the all oh, the stink eyes. Man, sex eyes turn stink eyes over there. He ain't liking this one. Um, <laughs> but I will say that I also have them cutting Larry Roundtree as things currently stand, but uh, we can talk wow. about that later. There, so I kind of, yes, Owen Wilson, I kind of gave you, I took Kessman, but I gave you cutting Roundtree, so Tyler, give us a away. <laughs> a soul for a soul. Um, <laughs> we got Thanos over here now. <laughs> um, as far as Kessman, like, yeah, I mean, maybe Viscano is in the lead. It's just so hard to say without them having taken real kicks yet like, right. in a game, and that's yeah. just ultimately probably going to be the decider, although we figure Badgley is out because he doesn't do kickoffs. But, you know, who knows if our logic on that is even correct. Uh, you know, the Chargers coaching staff has always, you know, thrown us for a loop sometimes. So um, I I would probably say it's going to be Viscano, but I really don't have like a you know strong uh, preference on that yet based on the fact that I haven't watched any preseason games. Uh, and that's probably what it's going to come down to. And kicker competitions are just, you know bunch of malarkey i mean you know we have caleb sturgis <laughs> and everybody you know of who's won kicking battles in the past and then they're cut like four weeks in the season so who knows uh if it's even gonna work out from that standpoint yeah um yeah as far as the roundtree thing i'm not quite there yet um you know i think if we see more weeks of him the the thing that was more interesting to me that people brought up is like well you know they did take nine players right and so if you figure yeah. you cut one of them, then you still basically have kind of a net of, you know, plus one picks than what you would usually have. So I think that's interesting to analyze from that standpoint, if that could result in like Nick Neiman or Roundtree kind of being cut. Um, I, I wouldn't be shocked with either, though I wouldn't also predict it right now. But um, yeah, Austin Prol is kind of the, I mean, biggest change for me. It, it's it's kind of like night and day. I, I had Joe Reed making the roster, and then I didn't. Um, so, yeah. you know, the fact that they have loved him this much on special teams, uh, I think says a lot. And the fact that he's been able to balance that out with being a pretty consistent offensive contributor as well. That's just, it, it's hard to see him not making the roster unless he just has a really bad, you know, couple preseason games. But I think right now, to me, he's a lot for wide receiver six. As much as we can talk about Jason Moore, Drew Reed kind of occasionally getting in the picture just feels like Austin Prohl's just been kind of consistently there. Yeah, and I also learned the other day that Austin Prohl's brother is also in the league, which I did not know. I just assumed that Austin, for whatever reason, I didn't think that the brother who was liking all of Tyler's tweets was also in the NFL. Um, also an undrafted free agent, except I believe he's from uh, Eastern Carolina, I think. Um, but yeah, that's uh, potentially a very stressful uh, few weeks for the Prol family coming up. Um, obviously, Prol is the one player that I think has changed the most. I think, you know, KJ Hill could still maybe eke out a win there if he's able to kind of show out in the preseason games, obviously have more plays like he did today. Um, but it just seems like Prol is, is kind of taking that next step. I think the biggest change for me has been Steven Anderson. And I think obviously we, we interviewed him, but with the way that they are using him at practices as kind of an H back tight end fullback hybrid, you know, we always kind of assumed that, you know, they, there wasn't room for that fourth tight end, you know, because McKitty was going to be the blocker and because of Gabe neighbors, but it seems like they have a plan for all of them. And if Steven Anderson is kind of able to fill all of those roles and do so effectively, then that kind of, you know, gives him an edge over someone 
like uh, an Amon Ogbong Bamiga. Dang it, I butchered it that time. It's so <laughs> it's so hard to get <laughs> that right every, every single time. anymore. Now it's you. You only got like <laughs> three more weeks of it, apparently. So I know. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I do think that Steven Anderson's, you know, uh, uh, improvement as a blocker is something that could give him an edge, um, especially if he's able to kind of convert that over to special teams, um, because he, he acknowledged with us, like I needed it to be better on special teams. He was pretty bad last year. Um, so he's rotating in with the first team special teams unit. He's improving as a blocker. He's making some plays as a pass catcher. So I, I think Steven Anderson is going to make this roster. Um, again, we'll have to see how that pans out if he's able to, uh, has some really good games in the preseason that will obviously help him even more. Um, but right now I think Steven Anderson can be penciled in as that fourth tight end um, and someone on the final roster. I was incredibly nervous when we interviewed Steven Anderson <laughs> because I thought we were going to curse him, but it seems like maybe we've done the opposite. We I don't him. want, I don't we want blessed to him. We blessed him. I don't want to speak too soon though on that. So, um, but Fingers honestly crossed. we did the 53 man roster prediction episode and I was just like, yeah, cut Anderson. Cause that is what makes numbers sense. But then right. Tyler brought up the kind of green Bay mesh thing. And the fact that, you know, they sort of run these packages that, Hey, like they, that might be perfect for Anderson. Um, and so while I did cut him, I didn't really feel confident about it at the time. I was just like, well, this makes sense, but I don't know. Uh, and so I think that's going to be, the interesting thing to watch, but right now it feels like four tight ends is kind of a certainty. Um, and then that gets down to, do you think four running backs or four tight ends is more of a certainty? Because I don't think they do both, but yeah. they could because they've done some surprising things in the past and maybe they only keep nine offensive linemen. Um, they did keep 10, I think, at the start of last year because of St. Louis and uh, Trey Turner being injured. So that's going to be... Uh, interesting to watch but i it's just it's really tough to like make a cut there um and that's why you know sometimes i I do think they'll keep all four running backs but then i'm like well you know maybe they could cut roundtree or cut kelly here because that that sort of frees up like hey keeping anderson or hey keeping an extra cornerback so there you go you know i I, i'm on tyler's (laughs) wavelength i don't know if i completely agree with him yet Um, but I I think we're getting to the point where it's just like some tough roster decisions are going to have to be made. And if I am picking one, I probably prefer Anderson over one of those two backs. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I'm surprised because if I'm being completely honest, if you ask, like, I don't want to say Anderson, he has the trait that can't be replaced in that yards after a catch. But then there's like three other things that Tida needs to be able to do that you could replace it like with McKitty or with Parm or something like that, a yeah. blocker, an H back or whatever. So I thought that while he has that one super desirable trait, I don't know if that's enough for a roster spot. So I was so surprised, especially considering that he wasn't great on special teams and he wasn't a great blocker as is that he's in the backfield blocking and that he is playing yeah. still with the first team special teams unit. <clears throat> and so I'm excited to see, you know, what they do with him and, yeah, I, w- I would make him. I would keep him on the roster. He's just he's just too valuable at this point. I don't know. Maybe McKitty and I should probably start watching him a little bit more. But I don't see a guy who has, you know, that many roles or as many roles as Steven Anderson has. So right now he's kind of irreplaceable. He's the guy that just kind of does whatever, sort of that jack of all trades thing. And yeah, you know, we have yet to even really see them involve him in that yards after catch sort of thing. Maybe a couple of like deep crosses here and there. There's a shallow, not a shallow crosser. There's like a a flat or something like that. But yeah, I'd be interested to what it, see what he does. And I'm, I'm actually curious how involved he's going to be in as a, as a fullback or as that blocking in the backfield tight end, because so much of 
yeah. if they go lead in an outside zone, if they need a fullback for outside zone, so much of the offense relies on that fullback. And so if you can provide blocking there, but also eke out of the backfield as some sort of receiving option, which, you know, Brian Dable did an excellent job with H-backs. And it's part of the reason I wanted him is because he was so good with his tight ends coming out of the backfield. It was so hard to determine what they were going to do. And so if they can do the same thing with Anderson, I think it, it just adds another layer to this offense and a bit of unpredictability if neighbors is in you know neighbors comes in then he goes out wide or anderson comes in and he goes out for a route or he's blocking an outside zone it's very hard to predict and i like that so I, I like that wrinkle and yeah he should stay on the roster yeah that's that's been the thing right like i, I think you know looking at steven anderson you definitely from last year that is you definitely see some positive signs a way forward for him to make the roster and initially my thinking was like okay between mckitty and neighbors they'll have the blocking kind of covered like you can use McKitty as an H back, you can use Neighbors as an H back, fullback, inline tight end. But McKitty's mostly been doing work as an inline tight end. He's he's kind of been filling that Virgil Green, Mercedes Lewis role as an inline tight end. That's great. You know, he's gonna carve out a role for him. He's gonna play 30, 40 snaps a game. Like he's gonna have some value. Unfortunately, don't think he's gonna get many targets or receptions this year. Um, but he's gonna be that dirty work kind of tight end and maybe down the road kind of develop into more than that. But it's just not just the usage of Steven Anderson, it's the way that he's improved because I think, you know, they're trying to figure out how they can use him as a blocker, how they can use him as a receiver, but he's also improved quite a bit. And that's really the thing is like, you know, you're talking about, like Tyler mentioned, is someone that can come in and really carve out a role and add some extra versatility to the offense. Maybe you keep that person instead of the 10th offensive lineman or instead of the fourth running back, because ideally the fourth running back is probably not going to be on the field on offense all that much, but a fourth tight end who can be a fullback H back inline tight end motion him out to the slot as a receiver. Like that gives you some more options. And so I think, you know, we'll have to monitor that as it goes forward in the preseason. But um, I've been pretty impressed with how they have used Anderson and how he has improved. So the, oh, I was, I was just going to, I don't know, continue on Anderson because I was going to switch to something else. So go to hey, just a quick thing. Last yeah. year when all four tight ends were healthy, which I don't know how often that was, did they carry four on the active roster? No. So okay. when Hunter Henry, Virgil Green, and Parham were all healthy, those three were the on the roster. Okay. Stephen Anderson was initially cut and moved to the practice squad. Mm -hmm. And then when Virgil Green was injured, then they brought Anderson up from the practice squad. Interesting. So okay. and it so it seemed like they try to keep three on the roster throughout. And then I think when Henry had COVID, I think Matt Sokol was on the active roster, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think he played much, but I think he was elevated to the active roster. But uh, I'll have to check into that. I, I had a mind fart and I was like, was Sean Culkin on the team last year? And I was just like <laughs> going through those years of Georgia's Titans. But no, I, he was that one that got cut and then was like, what oh, the fuck, yeah. man? No, 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 no. Oh, that was Vollert. The Vollert was that guy, I think. Andrew Vollert? Was Mixing it Vollert? White Titans. I th yeah, I think it was Vollert was, that was like that. I think Culkin tore something. I, I, I don't remember. That's like... Hard Knocks is a fever dream at this point. Uh, I don't <laughs> it really was. Um, <laughs> Feels like ages ago, man. <laughs> My biggest change I was actually going to say was probably the linebackers. Um, and, you know, uh, Tyler kind of brought this up when we talked a little bit about Drew Tranquil, I think, on a live stream or the show. Um, but it's just like, well, I sort of thought, okay, it's going to be Murray, White, and Tranquil, right? And we sort of thought, okay, Agbang Bamiga maybe is that guy that makes that leap. I didn't think much of Cole Chris Jansen. 
Uh, and I thought Nick Neiman would kind of be like that playable guy too, but Drew Tranquil, you know, I mean, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but he's kind of mostly been playing special teams. Is that, uh, has that been the case with him? I feel like this week he he's was been more, with the more ones next to with the okay. ones, yeah. I think yeah. White's is White's kind of stepped back just a right. Bit. So I mean, you know, that's going to be interesting. But from from where it started, uh, that was certainly different than what I expected. The Kaiser White kind of breakout that we saw, so, uh, we all thought was coming. That maybe now that's not happening. Um, who yeah. knows if that's kind of the trajectory? But uh, it's definitely played differently than I thought because really only Kenneth Murray is the guy that I feel confident in saying like, okay, that guy's going to get, you know, those, you know, uh, starter reps, like, you know, cause he needs to, right. He was a first round pick. Um, and he's going to kind of play that free role that we've talked about now that he doesn't have to call plays anymore. Um, but yeah, so I, I do think how it all shifts with tranquil and white uh, Cole Christiansen does Ogbong Bamiga make a late push? Like, I do think that's much more cloudy than my initial interpretation of the situation was. Yeah, so it definitely seemed like last week was more of a Kaiser White week, and then this week it's kind of shifted to more towards Drew Tranquil's favor. Um, and Brandon Staley on Wednesday, I believe, said that he views Murray and Tranquil as kind of like the two dudes, and then they think White is kind of the supplementary linebacker. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. I think I think Kaiser is going to have a role. I think he'll play, you know, 30, 40 snaps a game and Trank will kind of will kind of rotate and the Murray will come off the field probably in dime packages, it looks like. Um, but it does look like Murray's probably entrenched into like a 90 percent of snaps kind of role. Obviously, if he's able to stay healthy and that dude, that dude is such a specimen like the picture he that is, they posted yesterday, just like boulders for shoulders. And then he's also got an eight pack like. Kenneth Murray is insane, um, but yeah, so it, it definitely seems like those three are kind of entrenched into the roles. Um, I guess my question here, because it seems like we haven't really heard much about Roundtree. We haven't heard really much about Nick Neiman. Which of those two players do you think is more in danger of getting cut? I think Tyler obviously chose Roundtree, but Alex, I'll kind of start with you here. If you had to kind of guess today, Roundtree or Neiman, which of the six round picks is more in danger of getting cut? I'll say Roundtree is probably in more danger just because, like Tyler said, the the math of the roster is just a lot easier when you keep three backs. Um, the risk of cutting Roundtree, of course, is, right, if you cut him and some of, the, some of their team claims him on waivers, right, um, then that kind of gets dicey. But I, I think it's kind of, I think it's kind of a certainty at this point that one of those two will get cut between Roundtree and Neiman, um, which you know, it's kind of unfortunate, but it is also like, well, they were, you know, when you consider the fact that the Chargers had multiple picks in the fourth and sixth round, uh, or, you know, sorry, the third round and the sixth round, um, Mm -hmm. that was just kind of being like, all right, well, they may take seven or eight of those nine guys. Um, If I had to bet, I would say Roundtree, just because it's probably easier to put him on the practice squad. I feel like there's going to be a lot of defensive bodies that'll be needed right? Once guys start going down. Plus, Staley's kind of been more of a depth on defense guy anyway. So I, I think that'll be interesting to watch. But I, I just have a hard time believing they'll cut Neiman because I, I think he will ultimately be a little bit more impactful on special teams, despite the fact that we have heard that Roundtree's kind of been rotating in there a little bit. Um, but yeah, no, I, I do think one of those two will be cut. 
Yeah, no, I don't think if I mean, definitely if I'm picking him, Roundtree is the one I would cut over Neiman. Neiman is just like, unfortunately, and I, I truly believe not that this is my fault, but in general, it is I your think, fault. yeah, whatever. <laughs> what I'm saying is, I don't think anyone's really been paying attention to him. And I think it's everyone's kind of got their right. eyes on, you know, who's running, who, where's Samuel Jr. rotating? You know, how's Mark Webb looking? You know, when they throw the ball, you get to see Mark Webb knock the pass down. Whereas Neiman, like, they're not really live, they're not really tackling. You don't really get a chance to see what Neiman can do. And in that sideline angle is just really tough to watch what Neiman's doing. You know, at some point it just becomes a jumbled mess. You know, so I do think like, like I think yesterday he had a sack on Easton Stick, which, you know, whatever. But you know, it's very <laughs> hard to chase down Easton Stick. Like, Easton yeah. Stick is very athletic. Neiman is very athletic too. And he chased him down for a sack. And I do think that means something. So, you know, and I'm not cutting Nick Neiman. I think he's pretty safe. And, you know, yeah, I guess Jackson isn't super healthy. Like Justin Jackson isn't super you know, healthy regularly. Eckler has injury concerns. Kelly's kind of new, you know, but I do think I'm more concerned about the injuries of Kaiser White and and Drew Tranquil. I, I do think like if I'm betting on which group suffers an injury first, it's probably the linebackers. So I would like to keep a guy like Neiman. And then again, like Ogbong Bamiga just isn't, he's not a coverage linebacker. And I don't think Christian Jensen's anything more than a special teams guy. Whereas I think yeah. you can, de- you want to keep Neiman around because of those traits and because of what he can do. You want to develop him. Whereas like, I think you know, like Roundtree or even Kelly or kind of dime a dozen. Like you can just resign. He, he's not available, but you could resign Kalen Balage. I don't think it's gonna be a big difference anyway. Yeah. Not that I guess Neiman is irreplaceable either, but I would still hold on to Neiman. Just so you know, Kalen Balage is on the Steelers. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, know I said that. Okay. I know he's not available. Well, he probably will get cut. But <laughs> I know. So the the only thing I was gonna say is the fact that Mark Webb's injured. We don't know how serious that is. Mm-hmm. But if they do feel like, hey, we have enough safeties and we have enough bodies, and here's Jaleela Dye's cousin, I guess, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, that's a situation where if he's out long enough, I don't think it's crazy just because he was the last pick. So then that kind of goes into a Neiman Roundtree web debate, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think from a roster standpoint, it's definitely easier to find running back depth out there. Like you could sign Frank Gore for all I care, and you're probably you know, getting the same kind of production from that running back four, which is just kind of sad to say, but I'm a big fan of Roundtree as an individual, but from a roster yeah. standpoint, it's so much easier to find a replacement running back than it is a replacement linebacker. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I think from a linebacker depth standpoint, I would be pretty skeptical of, of Christiansen or Ogbon Vamiga being that linebacker four and potentially having to like see some actual game action. Mm-hmm. Whereas say you cut Larry Roundtree, and like Joshua Kelly, you know, gets COVID or something like that, misses a couple of games. Then you can just go sign someone off the street, which they have done in the past with Troy Main Pope several times, uh, even Caitlin Balage, like we mentioned, and they're able to still kind of have some success. So running back is just such a more replaceable position than linebacker is at this point. Mm-hmm. Let's give a round of applause to Tyler for saying something nice about Easton Sick. Uh, he said he was hard to sack. So good yes. job, today, Tyler. Yeah, let's go. Watch me do something about neighbors next. Really? <laughs> <laughs> nah, not today. We'll, we'll get there with neighbors, man. We'll get there. Um, speaking of quarterbacks, though, I, I don't think we've heard anything about KJ Costello, have we? No, I just signed. said he was big. That's, That's about it. He was yeah. signed and he's tall. Awesome. Yeah. He's he's the undrafted version of Joe Flacco. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. All right, guys. I, I don't think he's taking like reps. Like I, I, when I saw him um, last two practices, that one play that Drew Tranquil had, like that diving pass breakup, it was just in like position drills. Mm-hmm. AJ Costello is the one who threw that ball. Was it so, a bad like, ball? It was. It was a fine. 
like it was a good play by Tranquil, but it was not like a great throw either. Mm-hmm. Um, that was fine. Um, all right, guys, anything else in terms of like roster construction, things that have changed? No, I think we've uh, kind of talked about it ad nauseum at this point, but it's just going to be, you know, interesting to see how this all changes after one preseason game and we throw everything out the window and start over again because that's <laughs> probably how it's going to go. Yeah. Yeah. So I, we're, we'll do a full 53 man prediction uh, once we get closer after that last preseason game. But um, definitely wanted to kind of talk about some things today. So let's talk about FanFest tomorrow. First of all, again, do not pay for these tickets, okay? <laughs> these tickets are free. They are still available online. Tyler went through the whole thing today and found out that you could still, you know, get some for free. So please do not pay for these tickets if you're going or wanting to go still. Um, secondly, it seemed like on Wednesday that Brandon Staley had like a full script and plan for FanFest. And then today he said that it is going to be unscripted. Uh, so Alex, you kind of watched the press conference like what does it seem like the plan is going to be for you know in terms of like how this is all going to go down tomorrow yeah i don't know um i i don't know what the the plan is it just seems like maybe they were scripted and just try to improvise with some guys to see what every guy has when you know they're not you know given a script or given um some plays to run uh so the fact that he said specifically that it will be unscripted i, I think was interesting um but yeah past that there's not much i know i don't know if like brandon staley's filming like some you know jackass style comedy you know somewhere in the background where it's supposed to be unscripted but uh who knows <laughs> got it it took me a second to figure out what you're doing there I'm like, <laughs> are they gonna like beat each other up and like tase each other <laughs> during practice or gotcha well, maybe. Right? yeah well you know um yeah unscripted sounds great i want to see the first kind of sort of real hint at you know lombardi versus staley not that that's really what it is, but it kind of is. Like I want to, I want to see right. if this, if Lombardi, you know, if they've only been running kind of scripted, or if it's just kind of been kind of lax in camp and the run game just hasn't been able to go. You know, can Lombardi go? Okay, now that it's unscripted, now that I can kind of do whatever I want, let's see if I can open up this run game a little bit more and, and see. You know, I, I'd love to see if the running backs. I guess they're going. I think I think Staley said thump tempo, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he did. I, I couldn't tell whether he said thump tempo or up tempo, but I did think he said thump tempo, which I don't <laughs> it's know. It's a great fan name means, or whatever. But, like, um, um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I do want to see if this offense can open up just a bit. And, yeah. you know, even though you can't bring the guy to the ground, you know, can the running backs kind of make a little bit of a push and get that extra yard or two that they need to show that this offense is is not in trouble? Because I'm, I'm worried about the run game so far. Yeah, I think, you know, some errors here and there in the passing game are, are kind of natural at this point, but it is kind of a little concerning that the run game hasn't been able to kind of get going yet. Mm-hmm. Um, for what it's worth, Danny Popper said today that the two-minute drill from the first-team offense today was very crisp and seemed kind of mid-season form. Um, it was ultimately broken up by Joey Bosa, you know, of course, storming, <laughs> you know, running over Storm <laughs> Norton and getting a sack. Um, apparently he actually hit Justin Herbert a little bit, uh, which kind of made Brandon stay a little mad, but, um, it was good to hear that the offense looked a little crisper today in practice. I'm hoping that it can kind of build up towards tomorrow's practice. Um, and it's not really Lombardi versus Staley, but it kind of is like this defense is really putting this offense through the ringer in practice, which is good, but it's also kind of like, you would love to see this offense get in more of a rhythm at some point mm-hmm. and maybe that kind of comes in preseason form but 
like we talked about yesterday in our live show, like we don't really know how much the starters are going to play. Um, so I'm really hoping that the offense is really able to get into a rhythm tomorrow, like really be able to move the ball, run the ball some more, execute some red zone touchdowns. Like that's kind of number one on my list for what I want to see tomorrow. Yeah, definitely. I also, I didn't really think about this too much until maybe yesterday watching the practice. I do want to see off and Joey Bosa switch sides. I don't know how more or less effective he was on either side of the football last season, uh, but he's pretty much just kind of been up on, on Brian Balaga. And I do want to see him go after uh, Slater just a little bit in more or during the scrimmage, if possible. Yeah. I don't know. And I also am curious how much they show us, like how the series goes or how many plays they get. I'm curious if that kind of gives us a little bit of foreshadowing to how the preseason is going to go. Well, according to Albert Breer, Bosa's going against Slater like all the time. So I don't buy that. Um, <laughs> you're a liar, but thanks for your <laughs> Go to camp. Yeah, I mean, as far as like, you know, Joey Bosa going against Slater all the time, I'm about as knowledgeable as uh, Albert Breer in that respect. <laughs> so I only have what you guys say, you know, to tell me there. Um, but yeah, it does seem like Joey Bosa's kind of been more with Balaga, but. Um, and, you know, whoever else is there today, like Trey Pipkins and Storm Norton, just making casual appearances, because hopefully that doesn't happen in the regular season. Um, but yeah, so I'm curious to see what unscripted means, I guess, because we, we started to talk about that. But like, does that mean they just kind of have all the plays kind of not not scripted out, but they mm-hmm. have all the plays on a sheet and they just haven't told the players and are like, hey, run this play. Right. Or something along those lines. I don't know exactly what that means or if it's just going to be total improv like i I really um don't know so i'll be curious to see that um is it being broadcasted anywhere i don't think it is right i think the nfl network maybe the scrimmage last year was supposed to be scripted or not scripted televised well yeah they they protested the practice right that thing yeah um so yeah maybe it's on nfl network i don't know uh let me search this so one of you guys keep talking um (laughs) <laughs> what was i gonna say oh is it kind of unfair i mean not unfair it is what it is but the Staley basically knows the offensive playbook right like nothing should be a surprise to him he should pretty much recognize every yeah. single play the chargers are going to run right man <laughs> well yeah. there was that one there was that one uh clip that the chargers tweeted out when they were like that's so raven with brandon staley where mm-hmm. he like said to mark webb like hey nice pick here before the play actually happened so like what yeah did you miss that? No, I completely missed that. Yeah, it, it was. Uh, it wasn't in the mic'd up that they sent out. It was like a different clip, but mm. they tweeted it out and they were like, "That's so Reven, but with Coach Staley." And he's like on the microphone talking to Mark Webb, and he's like, "Hey, nice pick here. Come on." And then Mark Webb gets a pick, and he's like, "See, like he didn't say this, but he like nods as like a see, I told you kind of." Holy thing. cow! <laughs> so. Woo. I don't like this yeah. offense. Like, again, the offense is really going through the ringer against this defense in every way possible, which is good. Um, but we'll have to see if they're able to kind of put it together. Yeah, I guess I would also just say, like, given all that we know about Staley and the fact that he knows <clears throat> this offense, like, I wouldn't get too, you know, worried about, like, a bad showing there again, even though we've, like, kind of seen a couple in practice. Um, you know, because really if Staley does know every play, does that just come down to execution, right? Like in that respect for the offense and just like, Hey, you know, wide receiver beats, you know, quarter down here or whatever for, for Lombardi. Like that's, that feels like kind of what the matchup is. Like, I don't think Lombardi will actually 
beat Staley and like getting him to, you know, not recognize a play or fooling him. So, you know, it's just, you know, I'm, I don't know if I'll be able to watch it, but that would be the thing that I'd be kind of intrigued to see. Yeah. So I'm not seeing if FanFest is going to be broadcast. Um, I think it would it's be very be... chargers. It would be very chargers not to broadcast the uh, <laughs> actual game, but then broadcast like the offspring concert or something. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's also kind of weird. I didn't hear, I've never heard of the offspring band until like this year when they're doing fan fest. But, um, if anyone knows if the, they're able to, you know, kind of televise this, please let us know. Um, but as of right now, what I just searched, I can't find anything. It looks like they are going to have it available on the radio broadcast. But as far as watching on TV, I have not seen. Maybe it'll be on the app for the Chargers app. I don't know. But, yeah. Um, okay, what else are we looking forward to tomorrow? I think one of the things that really kind of needs to be sorted out, in my opinion, is, is kind of the defensive line rotation, specifically the edge rusher position. Um, we haven't heard a whole lot in terms of, Unwosu versus Fackrell in the last couple days. So I think this is a really big opportunity for one of them to kind of, you know, gain a leg up on the other. Um, so I think I'm looking kind of forward to seeing who kind of steps up between Unwosu and Fackrell tomorrow. I'd love to see Jerry Tillery. That's in the same kind of vein of, I want to yeah. see the rotation. I want to see Jerry Tillery continue to make plays. Uh, I know he had that, that sack against Slater, which I think, you know, everyone hypes up Slater when he blocks somebody, but that was kind of quiet when he, uh, he gave up the sack. But um, yeah, yeah, I would love to see Tillery take that step forward because it's been pretty quiet. But again, no one's really interested in the defensive tackles in camp. No one's really watching them. So I, I can't wait to see – hell, I can't wait to see an end zone angle of a game or practice oh, or a rep or something. From the sideline, it's like uh, <clears throat> something happened, you yeah. know, and then I tweet about it. So I can't wait to see an end zone angle of this. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. And yeah, it's just so hard to kind of watch the line of scrimmage, although like we'll be, you know, watching it at some point, you know, or at least you guys will be uh, tomorrow. So uh, I don't know. It's it's going to be tough just because like I, I do think the defense does have such a leg up on the offense. But, you know, there will be guys that kind of separate themselves, you know, most of factual is a battle. We've talked about the wide receivers a lot. We've talked about the running backs. Um, you know, I, I guess cornerbacks will be interesting. I don't think Brandon Faison is going to be there tomorrow. Probably not. Um, so they said it'll no. Be, I think Popper said yeah, no. No? Mm-hmm. Okay. So then, you know, that'll be Asante Samuel Jr.'s real, you know, first chance to, um, you know, kind of take the job for, for better or worse. So I think that's kind of going to be interesting to see how he holds up if he does have to go against Keenan Allen or, or some of those other guys at the scrimmage. Yeah, and then I think I would love to see all three kickers get some reps on the same mm. day for once. Um, it's kind of been, you know, Badgley and Viscaino or Badgley and Kessman or Kessman and Viscaino. It's never been all three. So if they're able to, obviously, I don't know what the script is and kind of how it's going to be executed. But I think if we could all see the three of them kick each at the same day, I think that would help put our minds at yeah. ease a little bit in terms of maybe who has the leg up in that mm-hmm. competition. I guess following that, then I want to see who the kick returners are going to be, because I know you yeah. referenced that Nasir Adderley was taking reps there. I just happened to not see it. And when I was there, when they used the machine to do kickoffs, it was just Prol and Hill. So I'd love to see if they, I don't know if they'll try a live kickoff necessarily, but you know, hopefully they try. I mean, they had the whole field to so go for it. Yeah. Um, I want to see, I want to see Badgley's leg because 
he's hitting his kicks from 50. Like some people are saying it's kind of low. To me, it looks like he's hitting them. Like the distance is no problem. And granted, you have to go much further for your kickoff. But I don't know. Like his leg looks better than I than I thought it'd be. I honestly think his leg looks stronger than it was last year. So I'd like to see if that's if that carries to kickoffs or not. Yeah, I, for for me, I don't know if it's ever been like a strength thing with Badgley. Like we know he's had a strong leg. Um, you know, he has the longest field goal in franchise history. Um, but I do think it's going to be interesting because they they have shown him like on the broadcast at times just like kicking at the wrong angle right or like his leg kind of comes in too fast and stuff like that so i think it may have just been more of a technical thing than it is a strength thing because we've always known he's been able to kind of boot the ball so if he has fixed his form um i mean that does change the kicking battle despite the kickoff thing just because it's like you know it's make or miss right so i I do think if if he can at least be an 80 percent kicker in the preseason and then some of these scrimmages that would do well for his chances to make the team. So hopefully he has fixed that form uh, for his chances to make the roster, but I don't know. Yeah. It just goes back to like, they're not doing kickoffs tomorrow and I don't know how they feel about the kickoffs when, you know, when Ronaldo Hill did make that statement. Darius Swinton, you mean? Oh God, I'm a racist. Um, anyway. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <gonna> say it. <laughs> I knew you were going to say it. Um, sorry. I got the two podcasts. But anyway, uh, Darius Swinton, yeah, that's that was his comment. Yeah, God, I really no worries. This one. No, you're fine, man. Mixing up names happens. It's all good. Um, but yeah, in terms of the kick returner battle, uh, we always end our podcast like this, man. Always with a mess up or something like this. Um, but yeah, in terms of the kick returner, like we've heard that Adderley and Reed, as well as Larry Roundtree, have been receiving some reps back there. It has mostly been Prol or KJ Hill, um, but Darius Winter did say this week that Reed's someone that they're, you know, kind of moving around in terms of special teams and seeing where he else he can make an impact, which you know is great. Trying to figure Bullshit. out if he can. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That, that could be Coach Speak, but I, I hope it's not. Um, but yeah, if it is Reed who is making an impact in terms of the kick return battle, you know, that is kind of his way onto the roster. Um, so hopefully they do actually have some real kickoffs and real kick returns. Um, Cause I think that is absolutely something that needs to be sorted out. Yep. Not going to say anything else today. Cause I uh, don't want to butcher <laughs> anything else. Anything else? Nope. No, I think we're good. So Asians all look alike. Anything you got there? Alex? <laughs> no, Stephen A. Smith's the bag. That's not mine. Uh, <laughs> Stephen A. Smith and uh, some Italian soccer league, which, which did something really racist too. Oh, I missed that one. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. Okay, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, the Juventus. Yeah, yeah, the Juventus. There was like a Juventus thing, and they like did the, this thing, and we're like, "Oh no, we got a screenshot of you doing." It. <laughs> yes. Oh god. Oh man, I was, I was showing what other people were doing. I was not doing it. Okay, goodness sake, man, that one's gonna be edited out. <laughs> oh my gosh. What a I'm mess. gonna do my valley girl impression for y'all, y'all white people. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's end this thing. <laughs> All right, yes. All right. If you made it so far to this, the end of this show, man, thank you. Uh, please let us know what you think in terms of the other things, the non-racial things. Um, but yeah, this has been a fun episode today. Uh, hopefully, you enjoyed that interview with Josh Briscoe. We've got some fun other interviews planned for the next coming days. Uh, hopefully, a certain Chargers player is going to be making an appearance on our channel. 
Uh, mm. I'm not going to specify because I think, uh, you know, I don't want to spoil it for us or you guys, but hopefully he's able to make it work. So um, those are all coming as well as some potential interviews with a Chiefs or not a Chiefs, a Broncos writer, as well as a Raiders writer. So some good information on the Chargers division rivals and uh, stay tuned for those. And thank you for what now? What well, I, now? Can't, I can't wait to get the screenshot of you, dude. I can't wait. <laughs> Oh man, you have to clarify though that it wasn't me. I was in, I was saying what was happened, you? man. <laughs> it no. was you. All right, whatever. Um, that's gonna do it for us today, guys. Bye. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants—they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.